Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Well, happy Sunday, everyone. So glad you're joining us today online here on campus. Really grateful to be with you. We're starting a new sermon series today. For the last two months or so, we've been working our way through John's gospel, the beginning of John's gospel, where we talk about how Jesus, or John writes about how Jesus came from heaven to earth, the Son of God, who is eternally with God, has now come to planet earth and walks among us and invites us to discover who he is and to follow him. And today we're kind of shifting our focus a little bit over the next number of weeks as we make our way towards Easter in a sermon series called Like Jesus, sort of thinking about the fact that Jesus uh, has come to give us as an example of how also to live and that we can pray like Jesus and serve like Jesus and become like Jesus is super fun to think about, but might not be stuff you maybe think about all the time. And there's a number of reasons why we're making this subtle shift. I think all of us fall into one of these four categories. I think there are people here today that are anti-Jesus, and for whatever reason, you're against him. You have reasons why, you know why, but I think there are people that are curious about Jesus. You have lots of questions about Jesus, about his teaching, about his character, about Christianity, about the church, about the Bible. And then there's people that admire Jesus. Maybe you've had your questions answered or you started to explore Jesus and you, you're thinking about him, you've read some stuff, you've talked, you've been around Christianity. You kind of look at Jesus and go, wow, he's a pretty cool guy. Like some of the stuff he does is pretty neat, it's pretty unique, it's worth admiring, which is altogether different than following Jesus. Like following Jesus is different. Here's what I mean by that. In our society today, we talk about following, and often what that means in our society is actually admiring. It's looking at someone at a distance to go, well, I follow that person on social media, or I follow what that business leader does, or I follow what that author thinks or does. But it's sort of distance and looking at someone and going, I admire who they are, which is very different than what the Bible teaches about following. The Bible teaches that following Jesus means that what Jesus says, I start to do. So Jesus says, repent or turn from your sins. I could admire that statement or I can follow that statement and actually repent of my sin, turn from it, and turn to Jesus, right? That's different. To follow Jesus in the New Testament is to do what he says. So he says things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's one thing to admire that phrase, it's another to follow it and actually do what he says. And so it's interesting, I love at our church today, there are people watching online or you're here in the room that there, someone along this whole spectrum, anti-curious, admire. This sermon series is actually designed for people who say they're followers. It doesn't mean that the rest of us can't listen on, but if you would say you're a follower of Jesus, if you would say I'm a Christ follower, a Christian, I've been baptized, I'm following Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I'm more than a curious, I'm more than an admirer, I am a follower of Christ. This sermon series is in 
designed to engage us so that we become like Jesus and not just say, I admire, not just say, I'm curious. I actually want to be like him. It's interesting, Jesus's life, he does some fascinating things that are super admirable, right? Like, so you watch him turn water into wine. We talked about that last week. Or he walks on water. Or he loves people who are unloving. He engages with everyone, right? There's things that he does that are just so incredibly fascinating. And we watch him and we go, wow, that's pretty incredible. But to the follower of Christ, he says this in John 14, 12. He says, very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me, which in the context of the gospels, Jesus saying, believe in me and follow me are are very similar. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do what? Greater things than these? Like what is Jesus saying? Are you kidding me? He's talking to the follower, to the believer. And he's saying, you have seen me do incredible things. You're going to do greater things than these if you follow me. And you go, well, like, doesn't he do those great things because like, he's God? Like, yes, he is fully God and he's fully man. Which means, how does Jesus do this? Like, what does it look like and how am I going to do these things? The, the way that Jesus did these things, Jesus served this way because he prayed. There was this intimate connection and we underestimate this because we think Jesus is playing his God card at every moment, but Jesus spent time talking to God, communing with God, interacting with God, listening to God, submitting to God, obeying God. And it's in this obedience, prayer, interaction with God that he's able to do these things among people that we look at and go, man, that's incredible. How did he do that? He was talking to God and in connection to God and obeying God and following God. And that allowed him to do these things out here. And he goes, you know what? If you're a follower of Christ today, you're supposed to do the same thing, right? And so this sort of sermon series is all about Jesus says to followers of him, pray and serve like me. Pray and serve like me. Interact with me and engage with me. And as you interact and engage with me, you can serve like me and be like me in this world. And we look at it and go, well, no, I can't. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And you're called to, invited to, to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to be like Jesus as I interact with him this way. I can become like him this way. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 10, here we go. We're going to look at a number of snapshots between now and Easter of Jesus praying and serving in hopes that we, with his help, can become like him. Mark chapter 10, let's pray together. God, I ask today that you would use your words and this time together to grow our faith. Wherever any person is online or here on campus, whether they're anti you, whether they are curious, whether they admire, whether they follow, wherever we are in the journey, help us to take one step closer to you. But to those who say I'm a follower, may you use your word to convict and to guide and to teach and to lead us to live and act more like you in 2024. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. 
Mark chapter 10 is at the end of Jesus' life. So up to this point, 30 years, Jesus lived in relative obscurity for the first 30 years where he's loving God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind and loving his neighbor as himself. He's a carpenter and he's kind of living, again, an obscure life. Then he starts at age 30 living a very public life where he's hanging around Palestine, teaching, leading, loving, speaking in such a way as he interacts with God and interacts with people, pointing people to the kingdom of God. And this is towards the end of his life, just days away from when he will die. We're going to actually pick up the story, I'm sorry, in verse 32, Mark chapter 10, verse 32. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death and they'll hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise again. Jesus, leading the way, is heading up to Jerusalem and he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tortured but he's telling them because no one takes Jesus's life from him. This isn't like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening. No, Jesus has come to planet earth, the lamb of God who's laying down his life for sinful people, rebels like you and me to bring us back to God and reconcile to God. This is all very deliberate, very intentional. Jesus, at this point in his life, after 33 and a half years, he walks deliberately up to Jerusalem knowing what's going to happen. And check out the scene that happens next, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I've been baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they've been prepared. Verse 41, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word. We have the opportunity to sort of unpack it and apply it to our lives. The scene is James and John, two of Jesus's closest earthly friends. Jesus has kind of got this little posse, Peter, James, John, the three that are closest to him. And then he's got another group wider, the disciples, and then wider and wider. But these are the closest guys to him. And I want you to track the scene here. Jesus has just said to them, guys, we're heading up. I'm going to have to be arrested. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be nailed to a cross. I'm going to die. And look at what he says. Teacher, they said. He just said to them, I'm going to die. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. 
Jesus is about to die, and his two closest friends are looking for power and prestige. Hey, Jesus, you're about to die. Um, and when you get on the other side of that, can I have some power and prestige, please? Can you, can you serve that up for me? That's what I'm looking for. That's what I need. I'm the closest one to you, and I've watched you for three and a half years, and here's what I'm asking. Here's what I need, some power and prestige. Can you, can you serve that up? And Jesus answers them, you don't know what you're asking, he said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? This cup and baptism reference is Jesus saying, I, I know where I'm going and what I'm about to do. And the emotional, physical, spiritual pain that I'm going to endure is this cup he's talking about, or this baptism that's going to happen. Jesus is like, what I'm about to do is going to be extremely torturesome, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every possible way. It's not an accident. It's what God has called me to do, and I'm going to bear on my shoulders the wrath of God for the sins of the world. You want my power, and you want my prestige, but are you willing to walk through the suffering I am about to adore? And they go, sure, Jesus, we can. Like, really? What? Really? Yeah, Jesus, we can do it. No problem. We got this. Jesus recalibrates things for them. He said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. He says to him, you will. He, in some ways, he sees beyond what they're asking or what they're thinking. They have these preconceived notions of what it means to follow him. And Jesus sees beyond that for a moment and goes, actually, James and John, you will. Not in the exact same way deal with what I'm dealing with, but we watch the life of James into the future. And James, after Jesus dies and rises again, James will be martyred for his faith, killed. John will be exiled and live on an island by himself until he dies an old man. So Jesus is like, yeah, actually on one level, you are going to do, you can't see that now, which all recalibrates, like maybe there's things going on that we don't understand. And they didn't understand. And so I don't know, let's just stop for a moment and think of this. Whether you've been following Jesus for three weeks or three months or 30 years, I think John and James are like us, we're like them. Because for all of us, we do this to God, right? We, we have these conversations with God, like we're talking to him and God, God, do whatever I ask is what we want, right? Hey, hey God, maybe we don't say it as bold as John and James. Hey, Jesus, uh, can you do whatever I want? And before I tell you anything, can you just agree to give me a blank check? Like, I just want access to whatever you got. Can I have a debit card that has unlimited access to do whatever I want, whenever I want? Are we good? Or can I get that? Is that okay? Are we down with that? Jesus is like, what do you want? I find it fascinating that a lot of us do this to God. Again, it may not be this black and white, but before we agree to anything, we want him to agree to us. He'll do whatever we want, and then we'll follow. So our conversations go, God, will you do what I want? And he's like, well, what do you want? And then next, it's like, well, let me tell you what I want. God, will you insert boneheaded request? I don't know what yours is. It's like we want this blank check from God. We want God to just open up and give us anything we want whenever we want it. God, we, we got this square, right? Like I'm gonna give you whatever, you're gonna give me whatever I want whenever I want it and then insert whatever boneheaded request you and I put in there. God, you know, you've been so gracious to me, but my boss is a jerk. Will you slay them? 
God, you know what? I have put these pounds on this frame, but you just miraculously melt this weight away? God, I've gotten myself into debt using my credit card. Would you just wipe it away and make everything better? God, I botched my relationship with my wife for my kids. I've screwed up left and right and over and under and made all kinds of mistakes. God, just do what I want. Make it all better. Boneheaded request, whatever you want to fill in. And God's like, you don't know what you're asking. We all do this like James and John. We all do this. And what is so beautiful about the God of the universe is God loves us despite our boneheaded, ignorant requests. Ignorant just means you don't know what you're talking about. God loves us and wants us to bring even our boneheaded requests. He's not mad at James and John. He doesn't power up on them. He doesn't shame them for bringing their crazy requests. Can we have power and prestige? Jesus doesn't slap them and go, hey, don't you know what I'm about to do for you? He doesn't belittle them. He goes, what do you want? He does recalibrate things and thankfully doesn't give them what they want. And he won't give you what you want when you bring your boneheaded request to him. But he wants you to bring everything to him, including your ignorant comments and your boneheaded requests. And he goes, bring everything to me. Ask me for anything, everything, come to me. With everything you've got, come to me. It's incredibly beautiful. James and John are just two, and there's 10 others that are there. So James, Peter, James, and John are the closest inner circle, and then the wider group. And so go back to the text, what Mark says, when the 10, the other 10 heard about this, they heard about the conversation that James and John had with Jesus. We want a prestige and power, we want a left and right. What do they do? They became indignant, right? Which means visibly shaken. They're bothered by this conversation. Just tiny little detail I think is kind of fun. Mark, is the one who's writing this, is not an apostle, but he's a close associate to Peter. Remember the top three are Peter, James, and John, and Peter's not a part of this conversation. I think Peter was indignant, and he told his friend Mark, write down I was indignant and everybody else around him, because he's like, why did they leave me out? Why didn't the three of us go, we want left, right, and center around you, and Peter was indignant and everyone else was indignant too because they're looking at the situation and going, I want to get in on this power and prestige. Where's mine? And Jesus walks right into this mess and says to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers and Gentiles lorded over them and high officials exercise authority over them. These two phrases over them is so interesting because this is how culture works. Our culture and the culture then takes whatever abilities you have, whatever prestige you have, whatever power you have, and use it and lord it over people. Everything we have is to get one over, to be power over, to use for me and my family and my money and my kingdom and my life and my talent and my relationships. It's always over someone else. It's always over. And Jesus says, that, that's one way of doing it. But this phrase, not so with you instead, not so with you. He's, he's drawing a very distinct line. He's saying, here's how the world works. Here's how culture works. Whatever you have, it's for you and for you to use it to leverage and power over people. Not so with you, follower of Christ. Instead, 
Whatever you have, you think it's for you, not so with you, follower of Christ. Instead, and he's about to draw a picture of what's instead, whoever wants to become great must be a servant, literally a, someone who waits on tables. Whoever wants to be great must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Is there any society, listen closely, is there any society where a slave has power and prestige? Raise your hand. Any society? Wow, it's amazing. Nobody thinks that slaves have power and authority and prestige. Jesus is like, you want to be great? Wait on tables. You want to be first? You choose, no one forces you, you choose to be the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the low. You become a slave to who? To some, to those you like, to those in your political party, to those in your orientation, to those who think like you. To who? Not so with you, follower of Christ. Instead, he's like, this is the way the world does it. This is the way culture looks at everything. Not so with you. Instead, there's a different way, a better way. And these disciples have been with Jesus for three and a half years and they've missed it. And so he's dialing in and zeroing in. And he says next in verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to have someone wait on them, on him, but to be a table servant, to give his life as a ransom. Like, I love that Jesus will never ask us or expect of us anything he won't do first himself. Everything he requires of us, everything that he wants of us, everything that he longs for us, he leads the way. He does it first. Even the Son of Man did not come to have people serve him, but he became a servant of all. And what happens just two weeks later, a couple days after this? What does Jesus do? He gathers them in an upper room and he prepares a table before him in the presence of their enemies. He waits on tables and provides them with a meal. And he doesn't stop there. He takes off his outer garment, gets down on his hands and knees, takes the nature of a slave to wash their dirty, disgusting athlete's foot bunion feet takes the very nature of a slave to clean their feet. And you go even further to be arrested and to tortured and nailed to a cross because Jesus says to be great in the kingdom of heaven is to wait on tables. To be first is to become a slave to who? All. To lay your life down for everyone. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And we look at this and we go, how could he do this? Like, how does that happen? And it's so admirable, isn't it? Like, whoa, here's a guy named Jesus who's super smart. Everybody loves him, except for the people that want to kill him. Everybody loves him, except for the people that want to kill him. And he does all this great stuff. And it's easy to look at him and go, wow, I admire that. That's admirable. It's kind of like watching football. You're looking at these incredible athletes and going, I admire that which is altogether different to say, no, my job as a follower of Christ isn't to look at him and go, whoa, Jesus, you did something really incredible. I could never do that. It's to go, whoa, you did something incredible and I'm going to do that. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's how I'm supposed to live. That's how I'm supposed to act. And I can act like you. Not exactly. I'll never do that. I'll never be able to lay down my life for you, but I might be able to wash your feet. I can serve all can be a servant and a slave to all. And so maybe 
the disconnect is we, we look at Jesus and we admire him. And then if we stop admiring him and move to following him, we bring him our boneheaded requests, make me strong, make me powerful, make me healthy, make me wise, make my political candidate win in 2024. Because if you don't, then I'm gonna be really upset. Right, like my, me, self-centered, self-focused, instead of moving from I admire what you do and I'm going to follow you, so now I'm going to ask you, God, God, will you make me a servant of all? And guess what he says, done. What would it be like in 2024 to move from our boneheaded requests, bring everything to him, and if you're at a stage in your journey where you're bringing him boneheaded requests, bring him your boneheaded requests, knowing that he's not gonna give you everything that you want because he knows what would hurt you but instead starting to align your heart to him. And he says, the one who is greatest in my kingdom is a servant and the one who is first is a slave. And so ask him to make you a servant of all. And do you think he's gonna go, nah, 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 nah. Wait, you wanna serve the other political party? Nah. You mean that person at work that's driving you nuts who's totally different than you and is ignorant and dumb? You, you want to care about them and see what's behind all that dumb and you want to serve them? Do you think he's going to go, no, I'm not going to help you with that? He's absolutely going to help you. Somebody in your family that's hurt you, someone you having a hard time forgive, make me a servant of all. And what is God going to answer? Done. Absolutely, I'll help you do that. Absolutely, I'll help you. You know, there's another scene in Mark chapter or Matthew chapter 16. It's interesting because James and John have this crazy scene where they come to Jesus and they say this request and Jesus is like, be a servant of all. Peter, the other guy, also has a dumb moment in Matthew 16, right before Jesus dies, where Jesus is like, hey, I'm gonna go up and die. And Peter's like, no, you're not, you can't. I'm not gonna let that happen, no way. And you know what Jesus says to him? It's similar. Whoever wants to save their life, Peter, will lose it. You wanna keep on to your power and prestige, you're gonna lose it, but whoever loses your life for me will find it, that the path to true peace and true joy isn't holding on, it's actually serving. It isn't thinking you're the master, it's realizing you're the slave. That's the path to real life. Forfeit everything to follow Jesus is the path to life. We've become so comfortable in our Christianity that we just want him to give us a debit card. And when he doesn't answer our prayers, we think he's the problem. Where are you, God? You didn't heal. You didn't fix. You didn't give my political party what I wanted. You didn't do what I think was right. Where are you? And God's like, where are you? What are you talking about? How are you acting? How are you behaving? Are you a servant and a slave to all? Because I want to answer that prayer. He loves us and wants us to bring everything to him. When you go back to Mark chapter 10, verse 32, remember this is where this all started. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. What are they gonna do when they get to Jerusalem? They're on their way up to Jerusalem. They're gonna have a big party and life is gonna be great. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. What's gonna happen in Jerusalem? Their master's gonna be taken from them and they're gonna watch him be abused and nailed to a cross. They're on their way up and what is Jesus doing? He's doing what he always does. He's leading the way. He's going, this is... Here we go. This is where we're going. And what are the disciples doing? They're astonished and they're afraid. Maybe that's you today as a disciple or a follower. You're like, wait, what? I can do greater things? I can be like Jesus? I'm astonished by that. Maybe. Maybe you're just scared. You're like, really? I don't think I can do this. Yes, you can. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and he lives inside you, yes, you can. You can become like him. 
and become a servant and a slave to all and in that find your greatest peace and your greatest joy. And so I don't know where you are in the spectrum from anti. You know, this anti-Jesus thing is interesting because sometimes I think people are anti because Christians have acted the exact opposite of the way Jesus wants them to act. Jesus wants to be a ser- us to be a servant of all, but we've used our Christianity for power and prestige and personal comfort. And so we wonder why there's people that are anti-Jesus. I'm not saying that's everybody, but I wonder if there's some people in here that are like, I don't really like Christianity because I've seen how Christians act. Maybe you're someone who's curious, you're admiring, but there's a significant difference here. I'm not sure these is a different category, but the way the Bible teaches that if you say you're a follower, you pray and serve. Full stop. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You talk to God, you interact with him, you listen to him, you obey him, you do what he says, and you serve all. That's what it means. So to the extent that you're not talking to him and engaging with him and listening to him, trusting him, then I'd encourage you to move beyond someone who admires him like you're a armchair Christian just looking and going, wow, Jesus is kind of neat. You've been admiring for way too long. That's not what it means to follow. Follow means stop admiring and get down on the field. It means talk to God, listen to God. It means you're going to bring him boneheaded requests. That's okay. Bring him your boneheaded requests. He's gentle and kind. He's not going to give you something that's going to hurt you, even if that thing is what you asked for. He's going to go, no, you don't know what you're talking about. But he will give you good gifts as you talk to him, and he will empower you to serve all, to be like him and serve all. So we're going to talk more in a number of vignettes coming up as we lead to Easter of different ways Jesus prayed and served to encourage us so that we can become like him. We also want to do this more than just on Sundays. And so if you'd like, we we developed this resource called Reflections, 40 Days of Song, Prayer, and Rest. And we kind of want to walk together as we get up to Easter to think about it together. So this is something you can sign up for, just a short song and prayer and reflection time for you to do personally at home throughout the week to just engage you as you start to think of what it could be like to be like Jesus. So you can grab this on our website, on our app, uh, see somebody at guest services. Love to send this to you. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about Jesus. I thank you that he was the word in the beginning and came to earth to seek and to save the lost. I thank you that Jesus laid down his life for me and I'm such a boneheaded rebel and yet you loved me enough to die for me. You loved us enough to die for us. And you're inviting those who call themselves followers to more. To not just be someone who admires, but someone who follows. Someone that interacts with you and knows that this is more than a religion and a transaction, but a relationship where we talk, where you tell us what to do and we do what you say. That you're the master and we're the slave. That we follow your commands no matter the cost or consequence that we trust you even when it's hard. You can give us this ability as we interact and you can give us the ability to be servants to all. That doesn't mean we're telling everybody that they're right. doesn't mean that we never say something is wrong. It just means we serve and love and care for all. No exceptions. That's what it means to follow you. 
So would you take the family of God that meets at Faith Church in Allentown and make us more like you, Jesus, as we work our way towards your crucifixion and resurrection. In Christ's name, amen.